This is The Blueprint, brought to you by Executive Platforms. Hello again, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Executive Platform's Blueprint Podcast Series. My name is Jeff Mix. I'm head of content and research. My guest today is Jack Garvey from Compliance Architects. Uh, people who have been listening to this podcast a while probably have heard uh, Jack in the past. I'm really excited I get to have this conversation again. Jack, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, Jeff, it's always a pleasure. Uh, really thrilled to be here again. Jack, with the capital that has flowed into early stage medical technologies in recent years and the exciting clinical progress many of those companies have made, do you have thoughts on CMC maturity of these companies and how best they can progress successfully uh, through the next stage of evolution? Yes. So CMC maturity is a, a topic that has been getting a lot more attention and something that, uh, that our company, Compliance Architects, has been working on um, with a number of companies to, to essentially help uh, organizations uh, improve their ability to bring the CMC activities into a higher state of maturity such that their commercialization is more effective um, and results in a quicker um, time to market and reduced commercialization timeline. So uh, we've, been, uh, we've been working with companies to uh, look at the processes that they're engaged in, um, in their CMC activities, the standards that they're applying, the inputs to the knowledge that they need, um, and the uh, data management platforms that they are um, using to manage the information from those early stage activities and the early characterization activities where they're defining a product technical, pro uh, technical profile, um, a quality product technical profile, uh, their critical to quality attributes, how that information is, is developed are they actually developing that information? How are they collecting that data? How are they managing that data to make sure that the processes are robust enough such that the data is has a level of validity associated with it that it's useful in subsequent commercialization activities? And it's really important. The CMC side has gotten so important because it really drives your regulatory success. So there are really two factors, two foundational elements that are that are that drive the regulatory success. One of them is CMC. What most companies at this stage, um, uh, kind of early stage companies, think about is they think of clinical success. And clinical success is important. That actually defines what the, the active entity, the therapeutic entity does for the humans, the, the health benefits. However, um, the CMC side is just as important as the clinical side because it defines how you as a company can control the ultimate build of the product, the therapeutic product that goes into the marketplace. So that whole CMC um, set of activities, the data collection, the data that's uh, created, the processes that take that data and pull that forward into um, process scale up and optimization and ultimately tech transfer, that is fundamentally important to the submissions because the regulators need to understand that when you get this product into a commercial setting, that you can build it. So CMC maturity has become a real kind of consideration. And we find that a lot of companies don't have a level of CMC maturity. So they, they or, or better said, they're, they're lower on the CMC maturity scale than they should be. And a lot of them tend to be smaller early stage companies. And there's a lot of early stage companies now, cell and gene therapy companies, really novel science-based companies. But one of the things I say to these companies is science is not a product. 
And so science, the scientific concepts behind the biological pathways in large part these days, the biopharmaceutical products that are resulting in these breakthrough therapies, that science is really just a theoretical construct. That has to be transferred into a product that can be reproducibly, reproducibly built and distributed in the marketplace. And a lot of the academics that kind of uh, that drive the science and drive these new companies aren't versed in the structured commercialization activities. They're not versed in how to translate the science into a product that will meet the regulator's intent. So, you know, long explanation to a short question, but CMC maturity, the robustness of your CMC process framework is critically important this day, uh, today not only for the early stage companies, but also for the larger um, biopharmaceutical and pharmaceutical companies. One of the trends that we spoke about last time uh, we had you on the podcast, and I think it's still a trend today, you know, we are in a, a tight job market where senior level quality resources, you know, have been at a premium recently. And, and I would be curious, you know, how has your firm been able to supplement clients' resource needs? And has there been a shift in the marketplace? Well, it, it certainly hasn't been easy. Um, there is a, a, uh, a, a talent dearth out there um, or a talent gap. And um, uh, there, there's a lot of effort going into training at companies, bringing people with, with basic educational skills. There's a lot of activity going on in um, the, um, uh, the industry trade groups, uh, uh, supplementing the knowledge base for people that may be skilled in other parts of uh, regulated industry. There's initiatives at colleges to supplement those skills. There's uh, colleges that are now getting into uh, commercialization activities such that it becomes part of their program. So there is effort. However, that's going to take time to catch up. Right now, there still is a dearth. So we work with clients and we rely a lot on what I call um, uh, gray hairs, gray hair type of individuals in the marketplace. These are people that have, that have had a career um, and they basically, they don't wanna go back into the corporate world and they've got tons of expertise in, um, in operations, in quality. Um, they understand the regulated nature of these products. They understand commercialization. They understand the, the interoperational dynamics of these companies. They understand the science. So we work with a lot of uh, great, what I call gray hair experts that um, do work on a, on a basis and a, on a consulting basis and that they, they don't work full time um, often they go in and staff augmentation roles. Sometimes we do things at a project basis. Um, but there are a good amount of those individuals that we work with and we have on our team that we apply um, to solve the problems that companies have in certain areas. So what do we do in, 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 the, in the situations where we get involved? Well, we, can, we do a lot of things. We, we sometimes hold hands. Um, we mentor. Um, we advise and counsel. We often just do direct building and execution activities. We do training. Um, we help transfer knowledge from some of the gray hairs down to some of the, 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 the younger and kind of the, the, the more academic types that may not have the experience of commercializations. So we've been very successful in helping companies um, with that, with those challenges. Um, but I will say that it, it, you know, as I said earlier, it's not easy. There, there definitely is a still, there's a gap in the marketplace. Um, I say to people that, uh, uh, you know, people with the skills and experience to commercialize these breakthrough therapeutics are not, you know, not sitting around, um, you know, reading magazines. They're busy. They're working. Um, and they cost a lot because these, you know, these things uh, have a lot of value in the marketplace. So it's hard, but but we found a way to 
make sure we have the right people in our team um, and that we apply them to the right situations to help these companies. You know, another differentiator of compliance architects, and, and we've discussed it in other episodes as well, you know, has been your creation of innovative and pragmatic proprietary offerings. You know, are these still relevant in the marketplace? And if so, how are clients using them effectively? Well, I think so. Um, well, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Well, we're using them every day uh, in, the, in, the, in the marketplace. And, you know, some of, some, of the, uh, some, of the, some of the products, you know, there's an ebb and flow in demand, but, uh, but we use, and, and we have three in particular that, that we work on um, regularly. The first is our Writing for Compliance program. Um, the second is what we call our CRPN uh, Quality Roadmap, our Compliance Risk Prioritization Number Quality Roadmap. Um, and the third is our quality pulse, quality culture diagnostic. And we're actually doing projects with all three of these in the marketplace right now. Um, we've, and interestingly today at the sessions we had um, at Biomanufacturing World Summit, um, the topic of writing for compliance came up and it's not something that comes up all the time in the context of um, people that have come out of science-based um, organizations, academics um, that are starting companies, they don't have an understanding of how to write for regulators. They don't, they, they have a lot of highly technical skills. They have a lot of science. They can talk in theory. And, but what they write looks like research papers. And what, what we have to do in companies is we have to translate the science, the technology, the operational principles into documents and language that the regulators can understand and embrace and, and essentially accept or not accept um, because the documents that we generate really tell the story of what companies are doing. So that's one example with, with writing for clients that's been around for a, a number of years. Um, our CRPN quality roadmap, we've had a number of conversations and we're doing projects right now with companies that are struggling with how to prioritize their activities to both reduce their risk, but also to achieve objectives in the marketplace. So, you know, CMC is a classic example. The CMC activities are often a, a roadblock to commercialization, right? Uh, let's say you have good clinical study data. So CMC becomes, becomes a roadblock. So how do we reduce that risk platform, uh, that risk, um, that, that risk that exists from having a immature CMC program? So our CRPN quality roadmap helps you understand where those gaps are, prioritize them in, a, in an algorithmic kind of scoring model and really drives to a reduction in that risk and improvement overall. So, so we're, we're working with that in the marketplace. We've had a lot of interest on that all the time. And finally, our quality culture, um, our quality culture diagnostic, Quality Pulse. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work with Quality Pulse because quality culture is, it, it has become almost de rigueur um, in the industry as far as a topic that everybody wants to address. And a lot of the, there's a lot of, um, benchmarking uh, uh, tools, I guess, for lack of a better describe it, out there. But these benchmarking tools really tell you where you sit with respect to other companies. What, what we do is we want to actually diagnose what is going on within your company. What are, the, what are the behaviors that are being exhibited such that we can understand the areas that we need to apply um, remediation uh, to or improvements to? And we've been doing a lot of that, and, and the companies are really embracing the outcomes they get from our Quality Pulse product. So, you know, I guess I would say that, yes, they're still very relevant in the marketplace. Um, and, and in fact, some of the, some of the movement, some of the act, things that are going on, like uh, the drive towards uh, digital platforms, has really helped 
kind of bring some of these almost um, almost full circle. For example, uh, uh, writing for compliance, if you're going to have digital platforms, you've got to do a good job with what you put into these digital platforms because the agency is actually going to look at those. So there are some contemporary issues that really feed into the relevance of, of what we're doing with these proprietary offerings. One of the things I so enjoy when I speak to you and the rest of the Compliance Architects team, your group really does offer solutions to all shapes and sizes within this industry, from, from uh, startups and very small biotechs and some of the cell and gene therapies that are just coming into commercialization, all the way through to you know the, the multinational, global, century-old companies. And so I would love to pick your brain a little bit. What are some of the differences and contrasts when we talk about challenges that these groups are facing? Well, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And it, it really ties into when I started the firm 13 years ago, ties into the brand of Compliance Architects. And one of the really driving uh, principles was that, that every company is unique. And so industry often thinks in terms of, well, all biopharmaceutical, the, the FDA looks at biopharmaceutical, what they, do they require a biopharmaceutical or pharmaceutical as if it's a kind of a singular static model. And, and it's, that's, really a, a, um, that, that's really a misperception um, in, in fact, the agency doesn't really tell you what to do. They look to you to tell them how in the context of the requirements and expectations for what you do in your business model with your technology, how do you control the activities that you engage in? So implicit in that kind of uniqueness is the idea of architecting solutions and architecting systems. So it really drives into the brand. So there is a great deal of variability from large companies to mid-sized companies to small companies, but there's also a great deal of variability between different companies based on types of products, technology, just culture in and of itself. Whether they want to insource everything, whether they want to outsource everything, whether they want to have a mix of everything, whether they have a high commercial churn, whether they have a stable product portfolio with stable life cycles. So, we, we deal with companies in a very much a bespoke fashion. And, and I think that's what really differentiates us. And we look at the challenges these companies have um, from a literally a problem solving perspective. And it's informed by what are you as a company trying to do with your business model? What are you, what are you trying to accomplish in the marketplace? And that certainly relates to the regulated product classes, biopharmaceuticals, and within that construct, cell and gene therapy, or just traditional biologics um, or pharmaceuticals if you're looking at you know, tablets, capsules, a variety of different dosage forms. So that's part of it. What are you trying to accomplish? How are you trying to accomplish? Um, what markets do you serve? All of that informs the type of systems and practices they need, the quality systems, the operational uh, control frameworks that they need to put in place. And those really need to be architected. What's good for one company is not good for another. So um, I used to work with Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson was, um, it was known as a decentralized company. Um, it was, there was Johnson Johnson, Cor Johnson & Johnson corporate entity and it had operating companies. It's an example of a decentralized model. Other companies are very centralized in nature. Um, they proceed from a kind of a command and control structure. How the systems and practices work in those different organizations, those differently designed organizations, even though they may be, have the same product, uh, products, is very different. 
Um, the cultures within each of these companies is different, their level of risk tolerance. So we do, so that is one of the, I think the secret sauces of what we do as a company is first of all, that recognition that there is no one singular approach. Our ability to look at these companies and their business models and all the uniqueness about them and develop and frame solutions, what I call architect solutions, that are right for them as a company and not their competitor. Um, it's one of the reasons we don't do a lot of benchmarking because you know these companies are so unique. How are you going to benchmark? And they really are unique. What Johnson & Johnson does versus what Pfizer does uh, versus what Behringer does versus what Sanofi does, they're different companies. You know, I don't think benchmarking personally is a whole lot of use, and I know companies spend an enormous amount of time on it. What is right for this business model? So we do a lot of that sort of work trying to uh, right-size solutions. Um, when we get down to smaller companies, we know that they have certain um, financial constraints. Capital isn't, you know, it's not unlimited capital. Um, they've got personnel limits. So we work on a very prioritized basis in addition to looking at the uniqueness of their business models, their technology platforms. We look at things on a, on a very risk-based approach um, such that we focus on the things that they really need to focus on, realizing that they may never get to some of the things that, yes, in an optimal world that they might want to address. So, and, and whether it's a small company or a large company, we work uh, you know, across that kind of large to small dynamic in a way that is, we develop solutions and we solve problems in a way that is specific to their needs specific to you know what they're facing from the regulators in the marketplace. Um, and I think that that really works for our clients. We've certainly had great, um, you know, we don't have cookie cutter uh, results. We have some proprietary solutions. Those are all, those all tend to be, um, you know, kind of semi-customized for, for the clients um, relative to what I was just speaking about. Um, and it, it really works quite effectively. Jack, I really feel like I could put just about any question about this industry to you, and we could talk for another 20 minutes, but I know you have things to do. Um, for people like me who have been listening to this and, and maybe have their own questions or things that they would love to bounce an idea off of you, what is the best way to get in touch? Well, I'm easy to get in touch with. Um, you can find us on the internet. Our website is compliancearchitects.com. Um, you can email me, uh, john.garvey at compliancearchitects.com. Uh, my cell phone, 732-397-3103. Um, you know, you can find me out there, LinkedIn. So yeah, reach out, be happy to talk, love to talk to new people and uh, love to talk about uh, challenges that, that people are facing in the industry. I do encourage everybody to both visit that website and reach out to Jack through LinkedIn or any of the, uh, the contact information he mentioned. He did say John Garvey. Uh, that's his actual name. Jack is uh, the friendly nickname that we all like to use, but uh, it's John Garvey at compliancearchitects.com. Um, this is always such a pleasure, Jack. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Jeff. The pleasure is all mine. You've been listening to another episode of Executive Platform's Blueprint podcast series. I've been Jeff Mix. Let's do it again soon. Mm -hmm.